Minnesota. What up? You're listening to the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore, in for Sue, who's... I don't know where Sue is. She never tells me such things. Maybe she's at State Central. Do you know Stan? Stan Poggle, my you know, producer. I didn't know anything about it until I received a bunch of emails and text messages from you, and then I realized you were in for her this week. So you knew more than I did well, going that, into this. Well, that... that that's a rarity, frankly, right? Not um, really. It's, not really? Okay. it's kind of par for the course with yeah. us. Well, Sue deserves a weekend off if she needed it, because I don't know if listeners have been following. Sue was uh, involved in litigation, suing the uh, Department of Elections, uh, Ramsey County, Joe Mansky, and she is now a named plaintiff in a United States Supreme Court case concerning our statute in Minnesota, with respect to what kind of apparel, what kind of clothing, hat, cap, maybe even a handbag or a tote bag or a backpack that can be brought in to the polling place and the federal district court and a divided three-judge panel of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that it was just fine. The Supreme Court said, you know, we're going to take a look at that. And it took Sue... Uh, she was involved, uh, or, or rather she was joined by Minnesota Majority, uh, the Voters Alliance, uh, that would be Andy Selig, uh, Dan McGrath from Minnesota Majority, uh, Eric Cardell was their attorney in the lower courts, and then the Pacific Legal Foundation, um, appropriately enough, on the West Coast, took an interest in it and crafted uh, really excellent petitions for certiorari and they were successful. I think that's going to be heard next February or March, and Sue will be going out there. She will be in the courtroom. And I don't care what your political persuasion is, very few people are named plaintiffs in United States Supreme Court cases, and this one has the potential to resolve conflicts among the competing circuit courts so that uh, one polling place doesn't let, I don't know, Black Lives Matter t-shirt in, and refuse some dude wearing a Make America Great Again hat. There should be consistent, uniform uh, regulation. And, of course, the heart of the matter is how far is too far when it comes to regulating political speech. Of all of our rights, the Supreme Court has said unfettered political speech is preeminent because that's literally how we discuss, defend, argue, shape, uh, react, uh, to all of the other rights that our Constitution gives us. So congratulations to Sue Jeffers and all of the people that I named. Uh, I'm sure she's going to be keeping you updated. Uh, I don't know if she'll be taking that weekend off in February or March because the court doesn't sit over the weekend. But it'll be very interesting. And there are going to be a lot of interesting decisions coming from the court this term now that it is back up to the full nine-member uh, court with Justice Neil Gorsuch, a, a brilliant selection by President Trump, and the, I think the Bake the Cake case is coming up around December 4th. That would be next week. Stan, was Thanksgiving just last week? Yeah, I believe it was, yes. Okay. Time's getting away from us here. Well, I call it life at the speed of Trump because there's just so much, and this week was unbelievable. The door was off the hinges. Every single day there was something. Every single day, uh, liberals, led by the corrupt and dishonest media, um, are having conniption fits and histrionics and meltdowns. 
and crying Jags. And I'm exhausted, but I'm not tired, if you know what I mean, ladies and gentlemen. It's just very remarkable, the times in which we're living. To give you a reality check, to give you an indication of how much has happened just this week, Tuesday. Remember Tuesday? What was Tuesday? Tuesday was the meltdown over President Trump saying Pocahontas at the White House when he was honoring, uh, I think there were Navajo, uh, Native American Indians, and... They had cooperated and, and had been uh, quite helpful in our surveillance efforts during World War II. And they were properly uh, being recognized. And he, he said, you know, there's somebody in Congress who they call Pocahontas. And, of course, that's Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren from the People's Republic of Massachusetts. Oh, it's racist. And I, I'm wondering if the left will ever get to the point where before they do something like this, one of them will say to the other, wait. We've tried this. There's no traction. It doesn't work. It slides right off. Oftentimes it bounces back and hits us in the face. Um, but they went to the race card, and uh, there's nothing racist about saying Pocahontas concerning someone who is not a Native American Indian, but who used that fake, false designation of ethnic uh, heritage in order to game the system because of affirmative action. Now, affirmative action itself is a contradiction. We can't discriminate on the basis of race, except. And here come all the exceptions. Well, which is it? And and that is uh, an ultimate tension, I think, that's going to have to be resolved by the United States Supreme Court. I, I wish we didn't have so many things being decided by the most undemocratic branch of government, but that's where we are. And I think the last major, one of the last major affirmative action cases was some time ago. And Sandra Day O'Connor, the grossly overrated Sandra Day O'Connor, she was the first woman. Oh, okay, great. Was she a very good jurist? Not particularly. It doesn't matter. But she, I mean, apropos of nothing, she said, well, I, I think, you know, affirmative action could stand for another 25 years. Well, what sort of a constitutional jurisprudence is that where you sort of pull out of thin air, you know, uh, a bounded time during which something is constitutional, but if it goes 27 years or 35 years, it's not. Um, it's it's a mess when it comes to affirmative action and the jurisprudence, but all things in their time. So there are interesting uh, court decisions coming down the pike in, in this first term of Neil Gorsuch. Uh, speaking, of course, we'll just wrap up here. Uh, Justice David Strauss from our own Minnesota Supreme Court received a hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Thank you, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. I don't want to hear you Minnesotans disparage Iowa. I don't even know what's up with that. And Wisconsin. It's, uh, is there a more insecure state than Minnesota? We're on a list. We're number two. We're number one. It's, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. I see it on Twitter. And... It's like, well, okay, do you feel better? I don't know. We might not be on the next list. Okay, so it's never really a point of satisfaction. In any event, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley uh, said, in effect, to Senator Perv L. Franken, take a hike. He had not returned what's called a blue slip. That is a tradition, not a rule, not a statute, not a law. It's just a custom in the Senate where traditionally Hearings would not go forward if both senators from the judicial nominee's state hadn't returned a blue slip. 
uh, Amy Klobuchar did and Al didn't. And I think it was the day that the sex abuse allegations and that uh, iconic and embarrassing picture of Senator Perv uh, cupping that poor woman's breasts on a military transport flight home from a USO uh, benefit. Uh, certainly appreciate the senator and, and uh, Ms. Uh, Tweeden's efforts at uh, providing some relaxation and humor to our men and women men and women and service but uh al franken is now i think on very thin ice and here's why in addition to the allegations which we all know about and i don't need to insult listeners intelligence uh the reality is because of john conyers who is a congressman from michigan the longest serving member of congress both houses, both chambers, um, part of the Black Congressional Caucus. He has had several hair-raising, well-substantiated allegations of sexual abuse and uh, sexual, it would seem at points, uh, assault. And Nancy Pelosi has called for him to resign. It took her a while to get there. Uh, a week ago, Sunday, she called him an icon. I think by Wednesday or Thursday, she had said it was time for him to step down. What the supporters of Conyers uh, are doing is twinning. They're pairing up Al Franken and John Conyers. And the argument is if he has to go, so does Franken. That's very deadly for Al Franken. That's the most serious development, in my opinion, since these uh, abuse allegations began. Um, Al has obviously decided to try the I'm going to hide in public and sometimes just hide outright in Washington, D.C. I'm not going to come back to Minnesota anytime soon and see if he can ride that out. That is probably, for what it's worth, um, traditional advice, crisis management, uh, wait for the storm to blow over and you'll be into another news cycle. This one isn't the usual news cycle, though, because we have had a cultural inflection moment, it seems to me. This is hardly genius insight. You just have to be sentient and able to read. The sexual harassment revolution uh, is taking down anyone from any quarter. It doesn't matter the industry, the field, the discipline. It doesn't matter the political party. And it's it's a fearsome reckoning. And I, I don't think it's too soon to worry about going overboard with just the merest allegation being fatal to someone. Uh, we're, we, we could be getting there. I haven't seen anything yet that actually crosses that line, but it's good to keep our eye on it nonetheless. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey in Hollywood, Mark Halperin, um, political commentator, diva, um, frequent, frequent guest on Morning Joe, um, to academics, to intellectuals like Leon Weiseltier, or over in Europe, uh, Tariq Ramadan, uh, to the halls of Congress. You're going to have an enormous number of scores being settled. And why now? And why is it so broad? Why is it so vast? And why is it so deep? Well, I'll tell you. Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and all of their enablers. All of the enablers 
kept Bill Clinton in power. It's just sex. All of the enablers disparaged and shamed and, and harassed, at a minimum, the women who stepped forward to say this is what he did. James Carville said about Paula Jones, famously, you'll never know what you'll get when you drag a $100 bill through a trailer park. Doesn't that seem like from a long time ago? But it was just the 90s. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't 1900. It wasn't 1800. And that was the mindset in our political culture. Our elites, our betters, uh, the people who look down their nose at you and me. And so the the uh, tab I wrote for alphanewsmn.com that Bill Clinton's tab coming due bankrupts the cultural left. And I really think it, it has. We're not done yet. Apparently the New York Times has some expose ready or almost ready to launch possibly next week about Broadway. Well... <laughs> I'm sure that those stories will make you lose your appetite. That's going to be particularly grim. And I don't think it's going to stop there. Uh, we've seen them fail as well. Judge Roy Moore running for Senate in Alabama has stared them down, flatly denied them. And when Gloria Allred, that odious feminazi of an attorney, brought out this yearbook that he purportedly signed and dated, like who dates a yearbook's signature, he demanded that the yearbook be turned over to an impartial, highly trained, highly professional, credentialed, handwriting forensic expert. Poof. There's Gloria. Gone. She's nowhere to be found. And so when you stand up, if you've been wronged, you can get some traction because people in America want justice, but they don't want the innocent swept up on this either. I'm John Gilmore, in for Sue Jeffers. You're listening to Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Welcome back to the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore, in for Our Lady of the Airwaves. That's what I call her. Sue's a good Protestant. She's a good Lutheran. So I'm probably pushing it with the Mary analogy. Although, you know, if Catholics overdo the Virgin Mary, and sometimes they do, um, sometimes I think Protestants might want to, you know, up her profile just a bit. I mean, hi, who are you? Well, I'm the mother of Jesus Christ. Well, she must just be nobody, right? I mean, they've you know, haven't really figured that one out either, but these days with the current pontiff, I'm in no mood to talk Catholicism, even as a lapsed one. Uh, we have a lot to continue to get through. Um, I have Janet Byhofer, the Republican National Committee woman, calling in sometime during this hour. The State Central Committee met, and Janet, of course, uh, attended and participated. There was a straw poll of the gubernatorial candidates, and the top three winners were, in this order, Matt Dean, Jeff Johnson, and Keith Downey. I don't know how much stock to put in straw polls. Uh, it's, it's up to you to figure out that. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, but the State Central Committee is a particularly, I don't want to say inbred, I'm not trying to disparage them. Uh, these, these are really the committed activists and uh, 
volunteers and sometimes paid, sometimes not. Within the Republican Party in Minnesota, I was a member of the state executive committee for, I don't know, two or four years. You know, I kind of forget. I've done all that time in the trenches. Uh, I'm sure my friend Jennifer DeJeanette would say, but I don't door knock enough and I don't phone call. That's right. I don't. I do write, though. Somebody has to. And that's my own contribution. Um, so we'll get Janet Byhoffer's perspective on uh, the poll with those three people Dean, Johnson, and Downey, and it's a crowded field. I don't know if the Speaker of the House, Kurt Doubt, is going to get into the race. I'm, I'm inclined to think that he's not. I have no special information. certainly don't have any inside access, uh, but it's still possible, I suppose. Unfortunately, I am hearing quite a bit, which I tend to credit, that Tim Pawlenty may get in next year, and... I don't know what the thinking there is. Uh, former Governor Plenty left the state, went to New York, worked for the Business Roundtable, part of really the swamp, part of the country, part of the segment in the country, which has hollowed out our manufacturing basis, flooded us with low-skilled, low-educated immigrants who are a mixed bag, I'm not talking about them as human beings. I'm talking about value added to a nation's prosperity. And it's very important to make that distinction because then it allows us to have a conversation that a lot of people don't want us to have. And they say, well, you're talking about this as, you know, an individual. No, I'm talking about rational policymaking with respect to who comes into the greatest country in the world. That is a conversation that we who are already here have an absolute right to have without being shouted down, without being bullied or shamed or called names. It, it's just you just have to stand tough and say, no, wait a minute. We need the best from a variety of countries to the extent that we even need immigrants. I think if we could take a 20-year pause, assimilate those who are here, get rid of the illegals, adios, sorry, I have no sympathy. And that brings, of course to mind the atrocious, just appalling miscarriage of justice in the death of Kate Steinle and the illegal Mexican immigrant who fired the gun that killed her. He was not convicted even of involuntary homicide. The evidence was overwhelming. The law is written practically preordained a guilty verdict. But that was jury nullification. It was politicized. And the public defender, immediately after the verdict was rendered, went on a, a little tirade against President Trump. This is what you get, ladies and gentlemen, when you politicize the law, when you politicize our courts. Think back over the last year. We've had any number of rogue, rinky-dink federal district court judges now, I have a lot of respect for judges when warranted, which is most of the time, but because we have put a premium on politicizing the judiciary in order to advance a leftist agenda that cannot win at the ballot box, you ensconce these people, life terms for federal judges, and they they, they violate the very nature and spirit of 
our laws. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is going on uh, to deal with sanctuary cities, withholding funds. One rogue judge, judge looked at it and said, I don't like it. Put, in it, put a temporary restraining order on that particular action for that particular city, and then upon reconsideration, made it nationwide. Why should a judge sitting in any particular area of the country have the full force and effect nationally? Now, that is the way the system works, but you're being given in real time and in your face examples uh, of, of what they think about the rule of law. It's terribly dangerous. It's terribly dangerous, and it's not true that we do it on the other side. It is not true. If any of you are out there and you get these equivalency arguments from people on the other side, you know, don't be rude unless it's warranted, um, but just shut it down. It's not true. We try to put men and women who look at the law and apply the law and come to a result. I think it was Justice Scalia who said, you're a lousy judge if you're reaching conclusions and you're never discomforted by them. You know, maybe your policy preferences personally would be over here. But you look at the law, you look at the facts, and you come out over there because that's what the law requires. That's the way you do it. And and they don't make a pretense on the other side. In fact, you know, you'll see them swear fealty to Roe v. Wade and other uh, watershed uh, Supreme Court decisions. That's going to be something that's going to be with us for the next four and eight years under President Trump, and it's a good thing. You're listening to The Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and com. And welcome back to The Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore sitting in for Our Lady of the Airwaves. Uh, the 3 o'clock hour bumper music is by Bill Nelson. Bill Nelson. Used to be a thing back in the 80s, a group called Bebop Deluxe. You can find him online. Uh, has quite a bit of music across the musical spectrum or range. Um, not well known. Could have been famous. Probably better for him that he didn't because he's focused on his music. And that is the bumper music that I'm using and that Stan, the man, my producer, Sue's producer, uh, has found. Thank you, Stan. I always am uh, interested in the music that you bring to the show because it's a, usually a little more obscure, less mainstream. And I like to expand my horizons a little bit. I like a lot of different genres, so it's kind of nice. I'm kind of an obscure sort of guy. Just kind of obscure. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Stan, I'm leaving for India tomorrow. It's been nice knowing you. What? I'm leaving what are you for going India. Over there for? Why not? Well, I've seen all the advertisements on the television. It's a great place to see, I guess. So I'm going to southern India, the state of Tamil Nadu, which is in the very far south of India, and it was where the Mughals and the Islamic marauders, uh, barbarians, frankly, uh, didn't penetrate very far. If, if they swept through Tamil Nadu, they didn't stay. They didn't destroy the temples. They didn't slaughter the inhabitants. Religion of peace. It's always been a religion of violence. I'll get to that in the second hour. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I leave tomorrow. I go to Chicago, then to Frankfurt. And from Frankfurt, it's a 10-hour flight to Chennai, formerly known as Madras, uh, India. And I'm just going to be hanging out. And I'm looking forward to smoking because I smoke cigarettes when I go abroad. So that's, that's the thing over there? 
No, that's just that's just my thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know. Oh, no, I can hear some liberals say, you might cut seven minutes off of your life. Fine. Who are these people, by the way, that want to live forever? What's up with that? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to make 100. Well, yeah. Maybe 100. I mean, technology and yeah. healthcare is getting better, but... I have a dear neighbor, uh, Bernice. I bring her food every week, and I call her every day, and I've learned more from her than almost anybody in my life, simply because she has lived so long. She's 97. And you know, you don't need to go to India to find enlightenment. You don't. What, what you want, you already have. It's within yourself. I don't know. Should we do like guru kind of thing? Suchafers, transcendental I mean. radio meditation, or something. And then well, we could I don't do. Know if that would grab the listeners. I mean, with Sue's uh, outbursts. I know. You bring it down I know. To a meditative I, I, level. That might be tough. Some days, some Saturdays, I, I think Sue's going to come like screaming bodily through my computer monitor, or my iPad, or my iPhone, or something. But you know, Sue's passionate because she gets what's going on and she understands the stakes. And I think after the election of Donald Trump, praise Keck, uh, a lot of other people do too. And and that's because the country was in the balance. We're seeing a great economy now. We haven't talked about the tax bill, um, and we probably should. In the meantime, if you would like to call in, the number is 651-989-5855. 651-989-5855. If you don't call in, you just get more unadulterated me. So there's some incentive for you. The The tax bill passed in the wee hours of, of this morning on a 51 to 49 vote. Uh, Senator Corker being the lone Republican. And it's a necessary win politically for the president. The Obamacare mandate was repealed. That provision was in the Senate. I'm, I'm not sure if it's in the House version. I can't imagine that it wasn't. But in any event, the bill the bills are going to go to conference where they iron out the differences between the House and the Senate. I don't think they're going to make any great changes for fear of fracturing the coalition that voted for it in the House and the same in the Senate. I don't know what the time frame on that is, but I know that they want this passed, and I know they want uh, the legislation signed. I'm sure there will be a big Rose Garden ceremony or East Room of the White House with the Emperor, and and that'll be good. And the tax bill is, is very interesting because... All of a sudden, I was talking to Sue about this before I went on air. I don't know if it was yesterday or or whenever, but it was hard not to notice. Uh, and see, that's half the game. You just notice, and then you speak out loud about what you're noticing, and they don't want you to do that. That is the function of political correctness. Steve Saylor has, I think, a fairly famous phrase, political correctness is a war on noticing. Pattern recognition. Well, can't have that. That shuts down all sorts of very important discussions. And it allows for an agenda of the left to advance, to undermine, to change culture and people. And we're not having it anymore. In any event, Sue was laughing. We both were. I mean, I think we're, on, we're texting or something and, you know, ha-ha laughing. All of a sudden, after eight years of President Obama, Democrats are outraged and concerned and so distraught about the deficit. Oh, okay. Right. I think it doubled, literally doubled the deficit under President Obama.
These people have no credibility. Why? Because they have no principles. They have no integrity. They say they do. They say they're a champion of women. And then Matt Lauer has a button on his desk that locks the door behind some poor woman. Imagine the pit in your stomach if you're a woman and you hear the door click. You know, it's, it's impossible to overstate what frauds these people are. And they have dominated our culture. They have dominated the political discourse, not just in Minnesota, but across the country. Far too often Republicans are worried about what the press is going to say about them, worried about the narrative, worried about the optics. They, they rarely stand up and fight back and push back. That goes without saying is, is fatal to advancing anything of a remotely conservative agenda. I don't care if it's cultural or economic. When you have one group that says, we command the high moral ground, and everybody else has to continuously prove themselves not guilty, then you, you're, you're going to win hardly ever. And that's what Trump coming in as an outsider did. He took out the Republican Party. He took out the Democratic Party. Can you imagine corrupt Hillary Clinton in the White House right now? I mean, I, I, I actually can't. I mean, I really can't. I just can't get there in my head. It's, it's everything that I can do just to keep up. So what happens with Trump, and I, and I think it was uh, Stephen Hayes writing at Powerline last week, he quoted some starlet, beats me, it wasn't some name I recognized, it wasn't like, uh, I don't know, Susan Sarandon or Anne Hathaway or something, but some starlet who said, none of this would be happening if Trump hadn't won. Now, why is that? Because Hillary would be in power, Bill, gag, would be the first gentleman or first idiot or, or first <laughs> cigar aficionado, uh, and that conversation could not be had on the Democratic side of the aisle. And maybe Harvey Weinstein would still have happened, but it would have been more contained to Hollywood, Tinseltown, and La La Land. And I do think that's the case. Uh, I had an interesting discussion with Susan Kent, who I think is in the Woodbury area, and she was, I mean, she's a DFLer. I've had pleasant exchanges with her before. Uh, I don't know about you and how... You know, listeners are on Twitter. Increasingly, people don't interact with each other because that's when uh, the left can tag you and get you suspended or sometimes uh, booted off Twitter altogether. But we had an interesting exchange, and she she went with the Franken, she went with the Conyers, she went with Tony Cornish, she went with uh, it's Doug Schoen, um, our local perps. Um, Minnesota is not looking too good nationally. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, and, of course, it was but a springboard to say, and Donald Trump. Well, sorry, I said that was litigated. All of that was out. That hit job, Billy Bush, Access Hollywood, that was litigated. Trump fought back like nobody else in the Republican Party ever could have done. There's just no way. And I think it's starting to rub off. I don't want to get too optimistic about Republicans, you know, in Congress because they've shown themselves to be so worthless and useless. You know, the the failure to repeal Obamacare is it's unforgivable. But Susan Kent was trying to go after the emperor with this sexual harassment stuff. 
As my friends in the South would say, that dog won't hunt. Sorry, it was litigated. Nobody bought it, and he didn't do anything. He was talking dirty. Gee. What was interesting is I had some women friends when that broke, and they listened and they heard. They said to me, oh, that's nothing. You should hear us. I was like, really? <laughs> she said, or a particular friend of mine said, yeah, uh, it's, it can get much worse among women. But that's just talk. It's not something I'd say on air. It's not something that you'd want to say when you're overheard, you know, on the phone or in an email that would be published. But if, if, you know, we have unguarded moments. Thank God, if we never have any unguarded moments, we may as well be living culturally in North Korea, where everything is available to wound you, to injure you. You can't let your hair down. You can't shoot the breeze. Um, it's 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 healthy. It's necessary. It's part of our human nature. Um, you know, sometimes we're not always goody-goody. And I think that's a good thing. So you can see where they would like to go with some of this. Um, you know, I, I suggested to Susan Kent that it wasn't really going to be possible with, with President Trump. And then it took a weird turn, and I thought, okay, it's it's getting sort of gnarly. I don't really like to fight on Twitter. Uh, and I knew it was time to say, well, I still have to pack for India. Uh when she said, and three million people more voted for Hillary than Trump, you know, here's an elected official in the House of Representatives in Minnesota falling back on a metric that does not apply to how we elect our president. Uh, I think she knew that, but that was all that she had, you know, in order to come back. So they're they're very discomforted on the left, and they should be because. This is the reckoning that I don't think I ever thought in my lifetime would come. And it's going to continue, and it's going to be fun, so stock up on popcorn. You're listening to The Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore, in for Sue at Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Hello again. You're listening to the Sue Jeffers Show. I'm John Gilmore in for Sue. And we have Janet Byhofer, who is the Republican National Committee woman uh, from Minnesota, joining us. I will take at the top of the hour uh, your phone call, Lawrence. Thanks for switching over into the second hour. But I wanted to have Janet on and also continue talking about the tax bill and some other related issues because they're fascinating culturally. But in the meantime, Janet Byhofer, welcome to the Sue Jeffers Show. Well, thank you, John, for having me. Appreciate so, it. You're welcome. Um, I had to text her the number, ladies and gentlemen, because she couldn't access her email. Do I have to do everything, Janet? No, it's just that I erased the email on my phone. Oh, well, that'll, that'll do it. Can, mm-hmm. And that'll do it, so mm-hmm. I didn't have it with me. Mm-hmm. Well, th- there yeah, goes your reputation for competency. <laughs> oh, Busted. Lot, <laughs> Janet, um, how was the State Central Committee meeting? It started yesterday and concluded today. Uh, if you can give us your overview and your take, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about the straw poll, and then telescope out to both Minnesota and nationally with the upcoming 2018 elections, just so that everyone knows where we're going. Sounds good to me. We can look at the convention in two facets. Yesterday, the Brainerd Lakes Chamber of Commerce had six of the gubernatorial candidates on stage, and 
did an excellent job. They had about 200, 250 people there. I did tweet it out under at Jay Byhoffer if you want to see summaries of it. And what was really good about it is they moved it along. It was an hour and a half. Everybody had a three-minute opener and I believe a two-minute closer. And then questions in between were 90 seconds, and then people could submit questions from the floor, and those were down to 30. But the point is when you have six people and you have a room full of 200, 250 people, many of whom have never done anything like this before, moving quickly and succinctly is the way to go. It's not the time for the detailed debate on the nuts and bolts of how something will be done. So I thought that was extremely well done. And the Brainerd Lakes Chamber did a wonderful job. Right. And then today we had the the regular convention in the the standard deal, and then we had six gubernatorial, six or seven, and I have all the names, but it's a long time. But it's it's a long list. But the bottom line is they um, all spoke, most of them spoke very well. The crowd was very attentive. We had almost a full delegation for State Central, so that was another good sign. We had congressional candidates from CDs 1. There's two candidates there and two congressional candidates from CD7. So that was it. No hassle on the rules, and there was some constitutional stuff at the end, but it was absolutely one of the best quickly moving on-target conventions I think that I've seen for quite a while it it just moved and there were a lot of speakers that's great what what do you think accounts for the sheer competency in in running that meeting which is not nothing no but i do think i do think that chairman carnahan has brought a an intensity that i've not seen It's, it's not just competence it's an intensity and everybody is pushing themselves to do everything well. And frankly, the staff in the office is outstanding. That is not to take away from anyone in the past, but we are running on a very thin staff. We are getting help from the Republican National Committee on the political side, which is also a help. But the attitude is we're going to do this. And the DFL just better watch out. That's great. All. Great. I like the to hear that. attitude is just it's it's really really good that's good attitude is everything uh-huh and yeah. attitude is top down and the attitude is we can do this we will do this and i added one today and said i expect that we will do this and we will make minnesota red next year and it is just really good great well i sure hope so because i i think we have in miniature what the country faced last november uh, mm-hmm. in 2016 which is uh the state is in the balance. I don't know how we recover if we don't win the governorship next November. Uh, we will be a cold California. Republicans will have gone a dozen years without running a single statewide election. I would argue that makes us not uh, a state party. We're, we're sort of an amalgamation of certain House seats and certain Senate seats. But when you can't win a statewide race for a dozen years, that's on us. The DFL is simply not that good. North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, all run by Republicans. Do you think Mm -hmm. the Democrats here are just that good? You know what I think, Janet. I think sometimes we've been the dumbest Republicans in the nation for too long. So I'm delighted to hear um, the good news from State Central, and I'm glad for Jennifer Carnahan and... uh, 
I'm glad for all the other officers. I want them to be successful. Um, I've I've criticized Jennifer on a discrete issue. I think that's been read as a, uh, a general uh, attitude of disfavor from me. Not that I'm anyone, but it's not true. These things are discrete issues. I think it's very important um, that the chair and the deputy chair, uh, Barb Sutter is the secretary, um, Matt Theupagano, the executive director, they do things, as you well know and our listeners know, uh, because they're in certain positions that nobody else can do. So I wish them mm-hmm. the best, and I, I, I am genuinely glad to hear the good news. Now, you saw the poll, the straw poll. It was uh, Matt Dean, Jeff Johnson, and Keith Downey, right? Correct. Okay. Do you read much into those straw polls, Janet Byhoffer? That's a hard question to answer. I really felt that going in that the top two would be Johnson and Dean. And some of that's just based on what you pick up as you go around the state or when you listen to people talk. But I want to go back for a few seconds to the reason I think the attitude is so up this year. The people in this on this committee are the absolute core of workers for campaigns, donations, all the volunteer work. And they're the ones who got Minnesota so close to flipping to Trump last year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that attitude that we can do this is still there. And Chairman Carnahan is capitalizing on that. And anybody who has an ounce of common sense is going to get on because it is (laughs) a train that is moving in the right direction. I know, but Janet, does it pay? I mean, that's, that's our swamp is... They're happy to work from losing campaign to losing campaign, losing cause, as long as there's a paycheck. I understand the need for a paycheck, but we, we put those interests first before actual principles and, the you know, God forbid, the idea of winning. So I'm glad to hear that. I just, you know, I I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to belabor the point because we only have two minutes left, Janet, and oh, I want okay. to get and I want to get your thoughts. It, it's sort of twofold. One, how do you think Republicans are situated in Minnesota currently, and how do you think they will deploy, execute, campaign next year in 2018? I think we've got a chance of putting a really good system in place, and part of it's because. Frankly, we don't have to fund the whole thing ourselves. We are getting help from the RNC and in the part of headcount. We have dropped the debt almost $300,000 in the last six and a half months. So, and we have money in the bank. And that's where people have always said, well, shoot, you'll never do X, Y, Z. But the, the people we've got want to win. I mean, they really want to win. And that attitude is contagious. Mm-hmm. And, but I agree with you, John. We don't win the governorship, um, you know. That's all over. Yeah, and yeah. so I think, I really do think that this attitude is going to permeate everything. And the fact of the That's obnoxious great. debt, yeah. is, it's not... It's not an albatross anymore. Good. That's good news. That's good news to hear, Janet. We're out of time. I've been speaking with Janet Byhofer, the Republican National Committee woman from Minnesota. Thank you so much, Janet. Hope to have you on when I guest host again. You're listening to The Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.